Hello, welcome to How to Get Into Law School, a Seven Sage podcast. Join us weekly to walk through the entire law school admissions process from application to orientation. Welcome back to the Seven Sage Admissions podcast, How to Get Into Law School. In this episode, we're going to talk about how do we can do some research on different law schools. I'm Jake, and joining me as always are Brigitte and Aaron. And how are we doing today, everyone? I'm doing great. Doing fabulous. I do want to disclose that we're re-recording this episode, so listeners are free to imagine a kind of ideal, shining ghost episode that they'll never be able to hear. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> and then when they hear our energy, they'll know we're doing it for the second time, so they'll just be convinced that actually, instead of authentic people, we are simply well-paid and well-trained actors who are doing this as a side gig during the writer's strike and the actor's strike. <laughs> well-trained might be a stretch, too. It's it's If, if we sound bleached of vitality, this is just... <laughs> Just one reason for that. Yeah, and my, my co-hosts are too polite to say that I pressed the wrong button, so I didn't record right. So, hey, I'm going to take full responsibility for it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so, on that note, everyone, we're just going to walk you through a couple of the core concepts here because it may seem obvious that you should do some research on schools. But, you know, sometimes when, when I start working with students and we walk through the application process and we walk through all the application documents and then we start talking about their school strategy, it's kind of a narrow strategy. It's either I'm applying blanketly to schools in this range or I'm applying to schools maybe in my geographic area. But then they don't actually know anything about the school other than maybe the mascots the fight song in some cases, you know, maybe what bowl game they went to last year. And that's about it. And and so we want to expand that out a little bit, partly because this is such an incredibly big financial and professional and academic decision, but also because through the research you do on the front end, not only can it help you make a decision on the back end after you're admitted to a couple schools, but also you can incorporate this research into your application and make a stronger and more compelling argument as to why they should admit you instead of some other random student who shares your exact same stats. So, Brigitte, on the note of, of when you're working with your students and talking with them about some basic ways to do research, you know, what are the things that you recommend to them? What, what's a good first place to start? Do you tell them internet? Do you tell them networking? Where do you start? I mean, I think the school website is always a great place to start. Look at the admissions pages, look at the academic pages, look at the career pages, just really get a sense of how they present and what they think is important to, to highlight. And then it's also really good to look at the 509 reports. There is so much data out there. And, and I have to say a lot of students know that data better than I do, but some folks don't really know about it. So it's really a great place to go to see where students are landing, you know, how many get federal clerkships. I know you're our kind of data guy. Jake, so you might want to say more about that. But those two places are great places to start. Yep. It's weird how simultaneously our students are so used to the internet. They are native users of the internet, and yet they can't sometimes, schools' websites are intimidating. And I think perhaps because the schools aren't considering their audience when, when constructing their websites, meaning it can be hard to find this information. Like, where do you find the admissions page? Where do you find the career page? If you literally just Google, like, University of Texas Law Careers it'll pop up pretty quickly. And you'll find their breakdown of information. But like Brigitte, like you said, a good standard form and a good clearinghouse for all this information is the American Bar Association's 509 reports. 
And this was something that I think a lot of students realized is out there through this past year with all the hullabaloo regarding U.S. news. That part of U.S. news's arguments is they were changing or they were trying to, I don't know, prove their worth or make an argument as to why they, they are still relevant. A core component of that was we are a neutral clearinghouse for needed statistical information that's relevant to prospective law students, to which law schools turned around and said, you aren't more relevant to us than the American Bar Association, i.e. every law school in the country has to report tons of information to the ABA regarding the stats for their incoming class, the composition of each class, how many men, how many women, how many non-identifying, how many of different race categories. And that's still going to be true in our post-SFFA world. Scholarship information. But then, like you said, also career outcomes. So how many people got jobs in law firms that are this big? How many people got federal clerkships, state clerkships? It's really cool to see that core information and to be able as best as possible to try and compare apples to oranges. So, you know, I always tell students websites are great places to start to get simultaneously narrative information on the website. You know, how does the school market itself? How does it present itself? But also some core data. But I also tell them if you really want to try to get a feel for the actual institution, that's probably more where networking comes into play, which I know can be a little intimidating, especially for our students who are current undergraduates, because they may not have had to have gone through a job search before. And and this is going to be something they're going to do as they keep, you know, going on through their careers. So I try to coach them up a little bit that, you know, why do you want to network? It's to get the student's perspective or an alumni's perspective. It's to put a face onto the institution. It's to get more subjective rather than objective information. And it's it's just a conversation. Conversation. At the end of the day, yes, everyone is having this conversation with the underlying assumption that you're doing this to learn more about the school that you want to go to, just in the same way that if you're networking for job purposes, everyone knows you want a job, but you're just having a conversation, you're just talking with people. You know, a great way to, and, and here, let's go back to those really great liberal, small liberal arts schools. You know what those schools have wonderful sets of? Alumni networks. That's a great first place to start is check out your school's alumni database. See if any of any current students or recent alums from your school are now current students at the law schools that you're targeting or see if there are any young alums. You can also go to school's websites to see if they make student ambassadors available. Not everyone does, but some do. And then last up is LinkedIn. What you ideally want to do is have these conversations from the student perspective or the young alum perspective and then be able to incorporate that material into your application. And then obviously, if you're also admitted to the school, you now have a ready-made network that you can rely on at that institution as you're, you're attending, you're interviewing, etc. But another good resource and one that's timely given when we're recording this podcast and also when this podcast is going to be released are going to be law fairs. So these are going to be recruitment events that are going to be done throughout September. October, a little bit into November. And there are going to be a couple different varieties, ones that are hosted by LSAC, some that are hosted by local pre-law societies or universities. And Brigida and Aaron, you know, how do you how do you encourage your students to approach those as far as networking opportunities and research opportunities? Yeah, so I'd, I, I want to just quickly remind folks of actually something that Jake said in a previous episode, which is like, like if you're, you know, if you're 21 and you're just entering this sort of professional world for the first time, I think it can feel pretty awkward and strange to approach people at these events. 
But Jake said something really nice about this, which is that, you know, the representatives of these schools are there because, in effect, they are all, they are salespeople for their schools and they are excited to talk about their schools with people. And they are also fully aware that one of the reasons people are going to come chat with them is because they're applying to that school, right? So you don't need to feel funny about it. I think the thing that's going to seem funny is if you appear to have some kind of other motive or you're concealing something. But simply, like, as a kind of default, approaching someone and saying, hey, my, this is my name. I'm, I'm so excited to apply to your school this year, you know, I, I just wanted to introduce myself and say hello, right? That's fine and good. And, and interactions like that are often logged. Yeah, but I think it should be casual. Like I, 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 I think they should go into this looking for it to be an opportunity to collect information. It's not as much an opportunity to, you know, make an impression or to get all stressed out about asking just the right questions so that someone does run home and, you know, put a little note in their file. I mean, that's probably putting too much pressure both on yourself and higher expectations than is realistic for the forum. They're talking to a ton of people. You can get a good sense of the school, gather some information, ask some questions if you want, but it should really be more about what you're learning rather than what you're trying to get from someone. Having said that, you know, let's say you do, it's, and this is not going to happen at every booth. But maybe once or twice, you're going to end up having a more in-depth conversation with someone. That's something nice to reference in your YX statement. I did hear, I don't know if you guys heard that the, the, the recent, usually these things are pretty, you know, controlled affairs. But apparently the recent one in DC was a bit off the hook. They had way too many people and it was a complete zoo and people were literally <laughs> like MMAing each other to get yeah. through to the to the representatives. Oh, man. <laughs> that That is what I heard from some of my buddies who are still in the field. Because I, th I think I heard from one of my students about that. So I texted buddies to then verify, see our audience. Hey, we're real people just like you. We're also texting our friends to see what the gossip is. And they said, yeah, there are a couple key changes to matters. LSAC made it a smaller or a, there was less time for the event. So the DC LSAC forum, and it is a quick point of definition. So LSAC will host law fairs in the major metro areas throughout the course of the, the fall, typically. DC is different because so many college students are in Washington, DC over the summer. The DC forum is in the summer. So anywho, DC forum is normally like five or six hours back in the day, pre-COVID. It was only three this time, maybe four, maybe four, but still, that's not a lot of time for the second biggest forum, the third biggest, New York is the biggest, maybe LA is the second biggest, you know, and it's DC in July, everyone's hot, everyone's bothered, everyone's sweating, and yeah, <laughs> tensions ran a little high. So don't elbow people, no body slams, you know, Brigitte mentioned it can be hard to make a good impression. It can sometimes be real easy to make a bad impression, though. Physical violence rarely wins the day at lawfares. But, you know, this is also in, in contrast to typically the LSAC events are going to be the biggest. As I mentioned, the New York City Law Forum will generally attract maybe 2,000 students who are spread out over two days. Whereas if you go to a law fair at your local university, there may only be 100 students who come by or 200 students who come by. So you won't need to sharpen your elbows or practice your, your shuffles to get around people prior to those events. And also you know, to that end, you know, as, as Brigitte and Aaron were saying, you can make a good impression, but use it for research purposes. Come prepared with a couple questions that you're really curious about, the kinds of things that you ask politely on Reddit, on those forums. A ask someone 
who's actually going to review your application and see what they say regarding you know what they may want to see in different application components or how they treat the financial aid process or what the admissions timeline looks like. That's okay. And like Brigitte said, don't worry that you have to come up with something horribly witty for them to remember you by because the things that they'll remember you for are just going to be very random. Like speaking of a DC forum, that was a time I met someone who grew up the next town over from my incredibly small town in the middle of god-awful nowhere Vermont. And the, the odds of that happening were just so extraordinarily low that it was mind-boggling. And I only noticed because he had a, when he was he was leaving his contact information, he had an 802 area code phone number, which is Vermont. And so that was like a stop the presses moment, like, oh, the where are you from, state. kid? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We, Do you have an 802 bumper more, sticker, Jake? You should get, I like this. I do have various stickers <laughs> that reference both the area code as well as the main highways and intersections. And it really is very, it's it's very Da Vinci Code-esque where the people who know immediately see it and go, my God, <laughs> and everyone else is just a little, they, they, they give me a little further space. You know that I grew up like right, you know, right on Route 7, you know? Which you take all the way up to, I don't know if it does it go all, all the way, way up. down to Massachusetts. Oh, I went to high school off Route 7. If you kept going further north, man, I know. We called it Shelburne Road in my neck of the woods. <laughs> and now, again, there's, there are two of our listeners who are like, oh, wait a second. And everyone else is just gone by the wayside. Exactly. So another key place where you can do some research, though this one may involve a little bit of investment of time and financial resources would be actually visiting the law schools in person, okay? And most schools have some form of in-person visits, especially during the fall. So this may just be one or two big open houses. Other schools have pretty wide open schedules. I, th I think this past year, I, have, I haven't checked out to see if they're still doing this, the University of Virginia effectively said, here's our class schedule, feel free to come on by. So effectively an open door policy. Most schools will have some sort of registration process and you can expect some sort of information session with admissions, a tour, sitting in on class, things of that nature. But again, if you want to get a sense of what the school's like on a day-to-day -day basis, this is a great opportunity to do so. But, you know, a question I always get from students is, is it worth flying somewhere? Is it worth spending two nights in a hotel? Brigitte and Aaron, what do you think about that? I think there's actually, well, there's two things going on, right? Because there's two reasons to do your research. The first is in order to shape your application and make sure the why essays and so on are targeted and specific and speaking to a genuine desire to attend that school, because that's going to elevate your chances. There's also the research you need to do to figure out where you actually want to go. Is the school the right place for you? But I'm saying that now because I'm remembering a, a student that Brigida and I had a couple years ago who was waitlisted at Notre Dame. He didn't have to fly there. He lived like 50 miles away. So he, but he was on the waitlist. He drove there, had a, by all accounts, great conversation with who, someone who must have been your successor, Jake, <laughs> was subsequently admitted like relatively soon after that. He had made this effort. He had gone there. He had, you know, and so that was that was just a really easy case of like that extra effort was clearly hugely beneficial to him, you know. At the same time, though, we want to make sure people don't feel pressured to spend money they don't have visiting a bunch of schools because most schools really, they don't expect it. It can be a nice thing to do if you can and maybe be very selective as to where, but certainly don't feel like you have to go everywhere. I mean, the way I always look at it is there are certain students who are going to get in anyway, right? 
students who aren't going to get in anyway, whether they visit or not, right? And then there's maybe a very small section on that graph where maybe it might make a difference. But so be very, very, very selective. And also don't, you know, if you don't have the finances to do it, don't feel pressured to do it. The Zoom options now are quite good, certainly for information gathering, maybe a little less so for relationship building, but but you can get a lot of information out of it. Maybe there's even a follow-up opportunity. So definitely, and, and even if you do want to visit in person, might be good to do the Zoom tours, Zoom Q&A before to start collecting your information and, and start building that knowledge base and then can help you narrow down where you might be really interested in going. Yep. And, and on that note also of expense and planning an in-person visit, another good opportunity that I think students sometimes pass by because it's just not on the radar is maybe trying to visit a local school. Even if it's not high on your list, maybe even if it's a super safety school, you know, take the time to go visit that. What you're you're investing is you know, maybe a bus ticket, maybe a train ticket, maybe not even that. Maybe it's simply a morning of your time, but it's providing you with a, an easy baseline sense of what these visits look like and the pacing of the visits. And if it's a school that's not as high on your radar, you don't really have any pressure because you're just here to, to see how this goes and then to file this away so that the next time, if you if you do end up going to visit a school, either now during your research component or later down the road after you've been admitted, you now have a sense of what this this all should look like. And, and, and that should hopefully quell some nerves. Well, and also on the note of Zoom and just internet, etc., other schools are going to have other random resources that are going to be useful to, to seek out. And in this category can be things such as their social media feeds. I know historically Harvard Law Admissions has been really useful in publishing different deadlines and decision release dates on their social media. So they've been really wonderful about that. Sarah Zierfoss, who's the Dean of Admissions at Michigan, started creating her own video podcast right after COVID hit. She was one of the early adopters of that, and that's kind of become one of her signature niches. And it's not only useful for the purposes of learning about Michigan law, it's also useful just learning about the admissions process. And I say that as someone who, like, I, I have some differences of opinion with some of the opinions that she has regarding how students should approach things, but it's I'd rather students listen to a lot of different resources, and Sarah is certainly a, a great one too. So that's another place where you can you can check some stuff out. And I also should mention that as much as we sometimes refer to it not in a backhanded way, but just in a hey, you know, take it with a grain of salt way, I do think that the the law school admissions subreddit can be really useful as long as you don't treat every post as gospel. So for example, if there's a current student who decides to do an AMA on that subreddit, that could be a good opportunity to ask some questions to, you know, just file away, hey, this is one student's opinion. And so what are the things that are more objective? What are things that are more subjective about what they're saying? But it could be a good opportunity for you to, to learn a couple things. Yeah, I agree with that. In the first couple seasons that I was, you know, on this side of the desk, so to speak, I kind of avoided Reddit. And I was like, you know, whenever a client brought it up, I was like, oh, Lord, you know, what kind of facts do we have going here? What kind of crazy advice am I going to have to sift through? But now, for some reason, it always shows up on my phone every morning. So I do, I, I, I kind of poke around and there's some interesting questions, interesting answers. Even when sometimes the advice isn't good, there's enough kind of that critical mass gets it right. So it, it, it can be a good way. I wouldn't, you know, completely plan my life around the advice there, but I would at least peruse it and see if there are answers to questions that I have. So yeah, it can be a useful tool. I think a big caveat on that is do not judge yourself versus 
versus anyone who's anonymous on the internet. So that's perhaps my main bit of warning regarding the subreddit is I think it's a, a fairly selective piece of the applicant pool of students who are really academically well qualified and, and have at least they say they have pretty good resumes and are looking pretty well at the T14 schools. So as long as you acknowledge like, hey, here's the main creators about this. And so they may have a couple blind spots here and there. Don't judge yourself harshly if you're targeting your local state school that's in the 40s range or in the 50s range. I'm here to tell you that's a great school. Okay, so don't worry about what the haters say on Reddit. Just focus on, hey, what are the headlines of the conversations that are happening about applications opening about at this time of year when we're recording this podcast? Did a school send an email out saying that their wait list is full? Or is someone saying that they were admitted off the wait list to a certain school? That's really useful information to file away. I saw a pretty nutty thread this morning about personal statements, about what you should and shouldn't say. So please just, you know, don't follow that advice. <laughs> There's no, it's it's not worth getting into it. But, you know, like Jake said, these these folks are anonymous, right? Like you wouldn't you wouldn't like send your car away to an anonymous person who had no information about and expect it to get fixed and be drivable the next day, you know? That actually, that could be another episode that we do is just general old person law advice. <laughs> Step one, mechanics. So... Talk with your friends. Find the person who's 30 years older than you in your neighborhood. See what their car looks like and then ask them where they take their car. Bam. That, that's what you there do. There you kid. go. Yeah. There's the analogy. That's all we need to say. Podcast over. We'll just end it. Okay. So thanks again, Brigitte and Aaron. Hey, before we wrap up, any last minute pearls of wisdom for our audience? Yeah, so we we talked pretty quickly about looking at schools' websites, which can be really useful in lots of ways. It can give you a sense of like what they value, the things that they want to highlight can give you a sense of, or, or start to give you a sense of what the culture of that school is like. But I just want to caution everybody when you are writing your why essays, or even when if you have face-to-face -face interactions of, of whatever kind, you're not going to differentiate yourself by repeating things you see on the website, and you may even be repeating language that the pe person you're speaking to actually wrote and put on the website. You don't want to do that. Just just think of the websites as a starting point and then, and then try to dig a bit deeper because otherwise your interest is not going to seem genuine even if it is perfectly genuine. Right. I never learned so much about my school's Latin mottos until I started reading applications <laughs> and found out all about, <laughs> about our motto. Okay. Hey, Brigitte, how about you? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we do recommend doing research. We think it's important and you can learn a lot. You can help shape your law school list, your YX essays, but also don't over rely on research because sometimes you're not going to get in the school that you've convinced yourself is the right one for you. You're going to get into another one and you might think that's a bummer because it doesn't have X, Y, Z. But really the important thing is when you land there, when, when you make your decision, you go somewhere, you throw yourself into it and you bring the right attitude and you find and make your make your opportunities. And because a lot of people have to do that. If you're not on the kind of a bit of the straight and narrow for whatever that is for that school, you kind of have to make your own path. And that can be at, at a really good school. It can be at a school a little further down the rankings. Doesn't really matter. It's still going to apply. So get there and make it happen for yourself with the right attitude and the right networking and the right connections. Totally. The last thing I'll add is that everything we talked about can seem really intimidating when you're at the beginning of this process and you're looking to apply at 10 schools, 20 schools, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. And you may be thinking, what? <laughs> I got a network with 20 sets of alums. Hey, no, start small. Okay, so what are your two, three, four top 
you know, schools for right now. Begin with those guys, okay? And then start small, build over time. Once you get momentum into this process, it'll really become a lot easier. The The toughest thing is always starting, but, but it'll be worth it in the end. So thanks again to Brigitte and Aaron, and we, we hope that you, our audience, enjoyed this discussion on how to research law schools. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and join us next time as we keep diving into the ins and outs of applying to law school on the Seven Sage Admissions Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of How to Get into Law School, a Seven Sage podcast. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. If you're interested in more help and guidance for getting into law school, also check out our website at sevensage.com. That's the number seven, S-A-G-E.com. You can learn more about our LSAT course and tutoring, as well as the work that our professional admissions and writing consultants can do to help you with your applications. You can even schedule a free consultation with our LSAT tutors and with our admissions consultants.